episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD treatment. Thank you all so much for joining me for this episode. Um, this is going to be a fun episode. I, it's a bit of an interview question. It's a bit of an interview uh, episode, but also a bit of a question episode. I'll explain that here in a bit. But first off, everybody, um, this is a question and answer based podcast where you can send me questions about um, about OCD and anxiety, including you know, including phobias, including social anxiety. Just anything under the sun that uh, that that is related to anxiety. That's the stuff that this show is about. And um, you can send me a question. You can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the submit a question link and it will get to me. I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. You can also send me an audio question and you can send that. Um, you can record your question and email it to me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. You can send it to me over at Instagram. You can send me a direct message and click on the little microphone button in the direct message and record your question there. Um, so we are calling on all questions. I'm, I'm going through my list and saw that uh, saw that the, the backlog is kind of slowing down. So things are starting to pick back up again in terms of uh, getting through that backlog. I've been trying to do two and three questions uh, just to kind of catch up, but I realize I'm catching up too fast. So if you have a question, send it in. I would love to hear it and we'll, we, we will put it on a future episode. So to that point, or along with that point, I think that's how that goes. Um, for this episode, I'm going to be answering a question about, uh, or from a listener. And um, I, I, I was a little out of my element with this one. So I, uh, I was able to get uh, Mishula Mepstein to join me for uh, today's episode to help answer this question. So first, let me tell you a little bit about Mishulam, and then I will jump into the question. So Mishula Mepstein received his BA in Hebrew and Rabbinic ordination and attended Marywood University and got his master's in social work. After training with Dr. Jonathan Grayson, Mishulam began specializing in treating OCD and more specifically, scrupulosity. Since then, he has been in demand for trainings and consultations across the U.S., South America, Israel, and Australia. Mishulam enjoys a close relationship with leading rabbis across the country in uh, in the course of his work. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mishulam Epstein. to help me tackle this next question is Meshulam Epstein. He is, uh, uh, so he, he is going to help me tackle this question from listener David Feldman. So the question goes thusly. Uh, I'm sending this message in case it resonates with anyone within earshot of the podcast and because I have a question. Uh, this is kind of sensitive and awkward uh, for me, but here goes. Um, I am what could be described as an Orthodox Jew, puts Orthodox in quotes for anyone who's curious, Orthodox Jew, even though I do not like labels. This form of Judaism is based on the written uh, the written Torah, the five books of Moses, plus an additional rabbinical law, which is um, which is how the rabbis interpret the Torah. Together, this gives us a picture of what the rabbis understand, of what God wants uh, wants us to do and not to do. But this is not so simple. This is an ex- uh, there is an expression, quote, two Jews, three opinions, unquote. Um, there are some things in Judaism where two different groups of rabbis can have differing opinions and that both are correct. For example, some Jews will not eat rice on Passover, while others will. My issue involves sex and OCD. Background. I'm a happily married male with a postmenopausal wife. We love each other and we have great sex. 
but not as often as I would like because, uh, or because after menopause, her libido went AWOL. I, on the other hand, have the libido of a teenager, even though I'm close to 60. We have what is called a desire discrepancy, which is, a very, co- which is very common in relationships. Because of this, uh, or because of this, an issue in our relationship, which I, and they put in quotes, I, I didn't want to bother my wife uh, for sex all the time, uh, we asked a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi. Uh, in my case, or if in my case, masturbation would be okay. Keep in mind that generally, Orthodox Judaism doesn't sanction male masturbation. My rabbi said, no problem, which was a release, a relief, obviously. However, uh, if, uh, however, in, in comes the OCD. Although I have a rabbinical, uh, or I have a rabbinical okay, sometimes after I masturbate, the OCD sounds off. It presents various arguments, sometimes suggesting that God might be angry with me, sometimes suggesting that there is something wrong with me, uh, or that I might be headed down a slippery slope. And before you know it, I'll be eating pork while driving a race car on Shabbos, uh, or Shabbat, uh, however you want to pronounce it. Um, Same potato-tomato, as we talked about. All right, Um, I got the thumbs up. Here we go. Um, If I'm not careful to handle this intrusive thought correctly, that um, that can trigger serious anxiety and sometimes a panic attack. I know other Orthodox males, some of them much younger than me, who also jerk off, but who have zero anxiety about it. Those, uh, those who I'm close with tell me this issue is not th- theological, but rather a problem of OCD. I understand that most of the time. My main question is, what would ERP look like uh, for this issue uh, uh, for this issue I'm dealing with? I know that uh, I know that to deal with this, I have to, uh, I have to use effective techniques in dealing with OCD. In other words, ERP. But what would ERP look like for an issue or for uh, an issue that I am dealing with? Um, besides asking that question, I'm also sharing the story in case anyone else is going through this same thing, and would also uh, and also in case you have any comments on their story. Thanks. So. Uh, so, Mishulam, thank you so much again for joining us to talk about this uh, kind of so- somewhat complicated question. Uh, in it, he certainly acknowledges that, you know, the generally speaking, an Orthodox uh, rabbi would not permit masturbation. However, in this very unique case, uh, he has been given the okay. And that, you know, how does that then mesh with, certainly with, with, um, with Judaism? And also, what does that look like then for ERP for someone in his situation? How can we do exposures um, for, for this sense of maybe guilt, doing something wrong, or that slippery slope idea that I think a lot of folks with OCD um, uh, wrestle with? So, um, so I asked a lot of questions, but let, let, let's, I'd love to hear your thoughts initially on this. Okay, well, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a very interesting question. So, um, so the audience knows we don't know this person, we don't know their history. So, for the purposes of the, this discussion, we're going to assume that the person does have a diagnosis of OCD. Mm-hmm. He seems to be familiar with it. Um, and it's not one of those cases where he's talking to his friends and they're saying, you're so OCD, which generally produces some kind of visceral reaction in therapists, Mm -hmm. usually a negative one. Mm -hmm. So we're going to assume that this OCD, uh, 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 label is, is legitimate. So that's, uh, the first thing I want to you know, you, we're going to use that as a, you know, we're gonna, as an assumption. Mm-hmm. 
So he, so far, you know, what he writes is, yeah, there's the uh, written law, and then there's the oral law, which comes from the rabbis. And he is right, he's correct, in that it is an unusual ruling from a rabbi to permit masturbation. And I'm, I'm wondering if that is part of the trigger for his OCD, because he knows... Even though he knows intellectually that there can be, there's, there, are, there is room for different opinions, but I'm wondering, since he knows that most rabbis would not be this liberal, I wonder if that opened the door to the OCD, and that might be uh, part of what's fueling his, uh, his anxiety about uh, masturbating. So... That is my my initial um, the initial uh, reaction. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, as your listeners probably know from listening to you, that we always want to know what the feared consequence is. So we just have to uh, try as best we can to infer from the this letter. So. I was really stumped, but then I see that he write, writes, sometimes there's something wrong with me, God's angry with me, and the slippery slope at eating pork and driving a car. So it could be that um, I don't understand that God angry with me, uh, there's something wrong with me, and the slippery slope would be a, a, a more of a typical feared consequence that I'm doing this, even though this was sanctioned, but I'm sort of getting into that world of misbehavior, and who knows where it could lead. Mm -hmm. And we all know that OCD has the advertising budget of Pepsi. (laughs) And uh, so we, you know, it can really make quite the case that this guy's going to end up just uh, uh, leaving leaving the fold, so to speak. Right. So, uh, it feels very scary to him. And, uh, and so we're going to treat it like somebody who is doing something which on the face of it is allowed, but there is, there is some, the doors open a crack for the OCD to say there could be some serious consequences for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to read further. Uh, those who I am close with tell me that my issue is not theological, but rather a problem of OCD. So, it sounds like he agrees with that. I understand that most of the time, what would, I'm not sure what he means by most of the time. My main OCD question is what would ERP look like? So, um, yeah, I, if I, if I I'll, I'll just butt in just for a second. I, mean, I, I imagine he kind of, it's that situation that a lot of clients describe or a lot of folks with OCD describe, where it's like, r- rationally speaking, they know it's not theological, but that gut feeling of theirs suggests, oh no, but what if it's OCD? And the OCD voice jumps in and, and tries to convince them, no, your friends are crazy, they don't know what they're talking about. It is indeed a theological issue that needs to be worked out. 
Um, I like that, and you know, I, I should also mention that uh, you know, for folks who are not perhaps in, in in the know of this, that slippery slope of saying eating pork and driving a race car on Shabbos, um, but both of those things would be absolute no nos for someone in the Orthodox community. Both eating pork, but also operating a vehicle on Shabbos would be an absolute no no. If I'm if I'm understanding that correctly, yeah, that would be a um, the higher level no no, which would be a divine commandment uh, as opposed to a rabbinical so that's uh that would be a transgression of the highest order yeah. right right so then but kind of like this 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 you know the uh, it's kind of that, that basic assumption then basic assumption someone within the orthodox community ought not to masturbate but now he's been given this it, you know it's like he's he got a rabbinical allowance to you know to to go ahead and eat pork that's going to create a lot of dissonance. That's going to create a lot of questions because now he's this, he's this unique dove, this, this person who has this very, this thing that probably is going against everything that he's known himself to be. I mean, he said he was, he's what, 60? He's, he's close to 60. He's been at this for a while. Those are some very ingrained rules he has. So yeah, I can imagine OCD right. jumping in and, and raising an objection. Yeah, so you're bringing up, you're reminding me of a, of a, a good point, which uh, probably would benefit your listeners, that to someone who suffers with OCD, what we would see as um, six steps removed, meaning this might happen, and then this, and then this, and then this, mm-hmm. and then this, to the sufferer, it's one step. They don't see all the, that, that gradual uh, um that gradual moving from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. To them, it feels like one step, and I'm sure anybody who has OCD could uh, uh, identify with that. Mm -hmm. That's uh, one thing you're reminding me of. Um, The second thing, before we get to the ERP, um, oh yes, this is what I was going to say, that it's very common for um, someone who has anxiety to go to a rabbi and get an answer, but then the OCD starts questioning that whole question and answer experience. So it could be, did I explain the question properly? Did the rabbi understand me? Did I understand the rabbi's answer properly? Do I remember? Did he say yes or no? The OCD has a field day, even though you think that you settled the issue by asking the rabbi, mm-hmm. the OCD just moves right down one layer from the question to your interaction with the rabbi and starts trying to poke holes into that hole and, and that whole interaction to the point where many people will go to multiple rabbis to ask the question again. They won't go to the same rabbi. Maybe they'll go to the same rabbi once, but then it gets embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And then they start going around, and and as a matter of Jewish law, we're actually not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Once you get a a ruling from a rabbi, you're you're not you're not supposed to uh, go around and ask other rabbis their opinion. Now, the rule you would think is formulated for people who would re- who are looking for a more lenient ruling. So they start shopping around, you know, they want to discourage that, so it's not allowed. Right. Um, in this case, this guy's so nervous that he was allowed to do something that he's not allowed to do. He's wondering if other rabbis would say no. 
So uh, it works either way. And uh, in a more um, theological uh, sense, size for the authority of the rabbi. You don't want to undermine it by going to another rabbi. Mm-hmm. But theologically, what a person hears from the rabbi is what God's will is for him. And when he would go, to, if he goes somewhere else, he is um, undermining that very fundamental theological principle that the Torah, especially when it comes to uh, very um, practical, everyday questions, the Torah is is expressed by the rabbis. So, whatever the rabbi says is what the Torah wants you to do. We, it's not, this is nothing like infallibility mm-hmm. or something like that. Infallibility means you get it right every time. This is different. This is what the rabbi says creates this reality for you, that this is right for you. Right. And, and, and I think that that for, I think, a, a lot of listeners, certainly my, myself included, to hear that kind of caveat, or not a caveat, that sort of understanding, that uh, I, I think in our previous conversation you described it as m- many realities. I, think, I don't know if that was the exact verbiage you used, but it's like, for this person, this rabbinical ruling is for you, therefore for you, this is your reality, and these are the rules by which you are to live uh, in, in accordance to and under God. That's right. So this is uh, this this idea could make uh, even an Orthodox Jew uncomfortable <laughs> because we as human beings like things to be very orderly. Mm-hmm. We like to know clearly what's right, what's wrong, and it should be right under all circumstances, wrong under all circumstances, and um, yeah, and especially since we're taught, you know, this. Uh, the Torah is taught with, uh, like, it's of divine origin. How could it be so fluid right. and flexible? Uh, but the reality is that um, the literature says that the application of the Torah was given into the hands of uh, the rabbis and then, like, the great uh, court, we would call it, um, that they had at the times of the temple. But, but, Everyday questions, it's up to an individual rabbi. So, the fact that it's situational gets people uncomfortable, but that is the, that is how it's meant to work. So, for this guy, what the rabbi told him, well, you know, it was me, I'd take it and run, you know. But he is anxious. Right. There's something unusual, perhaps, about this ruling, so the anxiety just kicks in. But you're right. We In our conversation, it's very um, situational. It's um, dependent on the time in which you live, who who you're asking, and there is a, there's a dictum uh, from the sages that um, whoever is the rabbinical authority in your time, it should you just treat it like as if Moses was telling you something. Each prophet, they use prophet, one of the people is a prophet, mm-hmm. but whatever your generation has as, as a guide, 
Well, that's your Moses. And uh, whatever he says, uh, that's the thing. That's your reality. So right and wrong are much more fluid mm -hmm. than people are comfortable thinking about, especially religious right and wrong, you know. Absolutely. Serious black and white stuff, you know. Right, right, right. And and it, it's interesting, as I was kind of reading this, I, I just was thinking about you know, his his anxiety, or just the, the way OCD has just jumped in. It's almost to be expected that OCD would jump in in a situation like this. In one sense, he's he's going with this. He's going to a rabbi to get this question answered. He got his question. I think you're right. You know, a, a, another person might just take that answer, which is, I, I suppose, a, a liberal or lenient or atypical answer, and run with it. Take the permission and, and just go with that, right? But because it doesn't right. quite sit. He's he's he might he's going to continue to ruminate and wonder what that then means, right? But gosh, just think about the the, the function of what that compulsion is doing about this rumination. He's trying to square this square this circle in a sense. He's got this he's got this permission, but it still feels wrong, right? He's not trying to satisfy God in this, trying to satisfy his faith. He's trying to satisfy this anxiety that says somehow this is wrong, whereas. Gosh, think about if, if that rabbi said, nope, for you, just like everyone else, not permissible, keep it in your pants, don't touch it, it all, all of that, right? Well, then <laughs> I imagine if and when he does masturbate, the same question is going to arise. See, I'm doing this. I'm going absolutely against what my rabbi said. And then he'd be giving into compulsion of trying to uh, assuage that anxiety. So it's... It, it, it illustrates... Oh, I see. Go ahead. The double bind? Is that what you're just yeah. describing? OCD double never bind? makes you oh, win. Oh, that's great. Those are the best. Those are the best. You want to get the client in the damned if you do and damned if you don't category. <laughs> and and, and I don't need to get any work done. OCD is going to do quite a fantastic job of providing this double bind. That is an excellent point. Like, what's the matter? You don't believe rabbis? So uh, that's the other side of it. And the other, so um, he, I'm curious, you know, it's interesting. What made, what prompted him to ask the question in the first place? If he's so sure that it's not allowed, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm even curious about the question. Unless he went to the rabbi and said, uh, what should I do? You know, how do I deal with this guilt? Yeah, right, and something like that. But it's not really a, if he's so sure that masturbation is is a given that you can't do it. I'm just curious about how that conversation went. Right, but, what, what prompted that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you always want you always want to know where the person's coming from. You know, they are always coming from uh, someplace. There's a there's a um, a very good analogy that or the questioner the question is a life question mm -hmm. or the rabbi is a math question because in math you don't care what the answer is as long as it's right because mm. it's not relevant to him right so the questioner is always coming from somewhere right and, and um, hopefully the rabbi is completely objective which is why we go to them one would hope so, one would hope yeah so, if you should we try? Should we talk a little bit about um, 
how ERP would go. I'd love it. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, not that I have some great ideas. Let's see here. So, how do you do ERP with uh, masturbation and uh, the subsequent um, uh, anxious thoughts and very fearful thoughts about uh, doing something wrong, where this will lead, uh, and maybe even that there's something wrong with me. I'm not sure what he means by that. Uh, morally wrong, or he is oversexed. Not a hundred percent sure. So it could be depraved, or just you know he's so uh, disgusting he ought not to. You know, no, other other people don't masturbate. What's wrong with me? I don't know. Yeah, this is one of those. This is again you not want sex as much. Perhaps, yeah. This is one of those situations, yeah. again, where, man, I wish I, if this person was, you know, in my office sitting on my couch, we'd have a lot more questions. But we're, we're, we're yeah. here to speculate, unfortunately. Right. And we're going to, you know, as we do that, we're going to, you know, we're going to learn uh, about OCD in general. So that's, that's, the, this person is providing us with a great opportunity mm-hmm. to do that. So when, when we design an exposure we're going to take the feared consequence and work our way backwards. So how could we bring up that feared consequence, bring it up front and center for this guy, and then, as uh, your listeners probably know, we accept whatever that uncertainty brings us. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the doing the exposure, and then there's the cognitive shift from X is unacceptable to I accept X. Mm-hmm. So I accept that I'm going to end up, you know, uh, you know, drifting away from Judaism or uh, I'm going to face the wrath of God whenever I die. Or sometimes people are worried about getting punished, you know, the next minute. And so they start connecting the die, you know, they trip. Oh my God, there's something. It's because of that. Right. You know, very, very invested in cause and effect. Uh, this profile of a person, you know, those connecting these things. What so, a, but what, what a petty punishment from an all-powerful God to say you you violated my law. I'm going to make you stub your toe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we but we, we draw do believe con- that there's yeah. yeah so they're connecting uh, two things. Uh, they, I think, in terms of having an orderly world, mm-hmm. they are in this type of person's in general invested in. If something happens, there has to have been a cause. They like having everything ordered. This mm-hmm. is a cause. This is an effect. So when it comes to religious laws, they will be doing the same thing. This happened. Oh, did I do something wrong to offend God? Right. It's a, it's just a it's a pattern of thinking, but when it comes to religion, you have all these rules. Well, that's a rich and fertile territory for you to start making these connections. Right, and and a very easy way for OCD to latch onto in terms of uh, in terms of finding ways to give into compulsion. Uh, once once this anxiety is there, we're going to now be hyper aware of anything that could be going wrong, might be going wrong, and you know, in in terms of it. it Looking at how to develop some, you know, exposures for this person, we do have both those parts. We do have the exposure, but also the response prevention. So, looking for what what mental compulsions may be going on, and you know, lo- looking for those consequences would certainly be actively looking for those consequences would be a compulsion, not just yeah. a natural connection. Yeah, go ahead. For sure, for sure. Yeah, we want to. We, I think. Uh, 
part of the effectiveness or the most effective uh, exposures are the ones that are planned and done uh, purposefully. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that the research uh, suggests that. So here, so one would say, well, you should masturbate. Uh, that would be the low-hanging fruit, the uh, uh, an easy answer, and mm-hmm. assuming that uh, he's allowed to do that, um, we would, that would be like a very straightforward uh, exposure to maybe, I wasn't thinking of this earlier when I read the email, but like he would masturbate when he might not feel like he needs to. Mm-hmm. So it would be like an extra, maybe this wasn't allowed, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm. But originally, I was thinking about uh, imaginal exposures, mm-hmm. which would be, um, which uh, we, the therapist or him, would write a script of this narrative where he starts getting looser and looser with his observance until the day comes that he says, what the hell? I'm going to flip on the light on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. And then from there and there, and I tell this whole story with all the gory details, mm-hmm. alienating his family, affecting his marriage, everything. You know, I usually end up, you know, the end of the story ends where he's alone in an apartment with a pistol and a bottle of vodka on the table, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's how far these things can go if you leave it to me. It's very bleak. But, <laughs> Very, very bleak. But the idea is that you play out the worst case scenario uh, in all his glory. Um, You know, as therapists, we have to, you know, seem uh, realistic so we can't go overboard. Mm -hmm. But that my first instinct was to create a script where all this stuff happens. And as uh, everyone knows, you listen to it over and over again you habituate to that possibility. Now, we, again, I have to em- always want to emphasize, when we do these things, the person is accepting sincerely that this possibility exists. We can't, we're not playing games here. It has to be real. So that would be, uh, I was as when you sent me the email, uh, I would. Uh, I was thinking uh, imaginary exposure for that. Mm-hmm. We could. We always often do imaginary exposures for finding out after you die that you shouldn't have listened to the rabbi mm-hmm. and you shouldn't have listened to the therapist. Ooh, so I, I always include too. myself. You know, it's all about me. So I always include myself <laughs> in the in the narrative where. My therapist told me this, and I get end up in heaven, and he says, who told you to listen to that guy? Right. Deferring responsibility to all these other people instead of taking on the responsibility. You knew better. Well said. So we can do an, a, uh, uh, a, an imaginary uh, script, uh, imaginal exposure like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then we can do the same thing uh, for um, being a sexual deviant, Mm-hmm. Or being depraved, <clears throat> and even maybe that spiraling out of control in some way. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, those all, you know, as we know, are are pretty effective. You might have to uh, uh, do different versions of it, you know, across contexts a little bit. 
so my first answer would be imaginal exposures. This type of case lends itself to those type of exposures. Um, but, um, you know, I've had people have um, uh, OCD, especially with Jewish law, with having wrong thoughts during sex. Mm-hmm. So it's my favorite homework to give. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's great. You know, everyone's happy. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, have sex as often as possible. Allow the thoughts to come in and uh, accept whatever they may mean. So here too, uh, here too, if this thing is allowed, well, well, we're going to do it. And for the purpose of bringing up the uncertainty and all the angst, well, the, the way it feels and the possible negative consequences and, um, and accept those, accept those, um, whatever those scenarios might be, except that whatever those negative consequences might be. Yeah. Those it, to be my I'm, first thoughts. Go ahead. Yeah. And within, within that mindset, is it the, the, this individual needs to accept that this is in fact going to happen or is he's, is he needing to accept the possibility to, that that is a potential future? So I am a purist mm-hmm. when it comes to maybe. Okay. Everything is maybe. I'm to the point where one of my clients said, I bet you it says on your voicemail, this might be Michelle Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> That's how stubborn I am about it. So I want to um, check that, but I, I, I won't. I, I will trust you that it may or may not be there. Excellent. You're curious. You're curious. Oh, good. That's all it took. Oh goodness, that was yeah, that was easy. So, um, so we, we if we start getting into uh, this will happen, then we're 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 missing the opportunity to. We want to fundamentally change this person's relationship with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. That's really what, in my view. I'm trying to do in therapy. So if I start saying this is going to happen, uh, you know, first of all, it's probably not going to happen. Let's say it was something that would happen tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And I would say, yes, it's going to happen. You know, accept uh, accept that it's going to happen. Then it doesn't happen. So the whole therapy loses some of its credibility. Right. But if you keep it a possibility whether it's a, a, in the near future or in the unforeseeable future, like in heaven or mm-hmm. whatever, then everything is equal. That's the first benefit of sticking with uh, a maybe. Mm-hmm. And the second one is that your therapy is no longer limited to the subject you're talking about because you're not just talking about this, you're talking about uncertainty in general. So the person is more likely to handle uncertainty better if something else comes up. So to me, there's all benefit with sticking to uncertainty, mm-hmm. less with talking about uh, things that will happen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. 
that's kind of what we're what we're trying to do across the board is, as you said, reevaluate re, re your relationship with uncertainty. Because if we're working on this, it's not, you know, OCD has a nasty habit of then shifting topics. Because if you were to say, all right, I'm just getting used to the idea of masturbation and tolerates that or works on that, but it doesn't get to the core of accepting and tolerating the uncertainty, then it, when it shifts subject, it will feel, it will quote, be a brand new obsession rather than it just being yet another manifestation of something to apply uncertainty to. Exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm curious about how, what, what this, so let's, let's say, um, let's say David comes into your office. How, how would you, as, as someone in the, you know, in the Orthodox community or in the Jewish community, how would you feel about prescribing masturbation so I imagine that's not something that the average person within the Orthodox community would prescribe to somebody. But what, what would that be like for you, and what sort of steps would you take um, for, for, uh, for, for your therapy with this person? Right. Can I get what I'm saying? Right. Oh, for sure. This is, a, this is a tough one, Kevin. I'll be perfectly honest with yeah. you. This is a tough one because, as you know, we have this little cadre of uh, uh, orthodox OCD specialists mm -hmm. and um, we're pretty stunned you know about this ruling of the rabbi so let's say it came into my office so what, how would I feel about prescribing it I'd be super uncomfortable however mm -hmm. um, in the course of the conversation without you know sounding challenging or anything I would get to I would know who the rabbi is. Mm -hmm. I would, in, in a very subtle way, um, try to understand whether the, the patient understood what the rabbi was saying. Because, again, I have serious doubts about it. The rabbi said it, the rabbi said it. You know, um, I have to practice what I preach, that right. if the rabbi said it, it's okay. So I'm actually, I would go to the rabbi myself. I was going to ask that. Is there, is I'm there, just kidding. Well, no. is, there, is there a role for the therapist to get a release to speak to that rabbi to say, hey, <clears throat> is that what actually happened? Or are you practicing uncertainty entirely as well? So, so for the most part, uh, I wouldn't do that. And okay. also, it's very delicate because let's say I ask the guy, permission. He'll say, oh my God, the therapist also doubts the veracity of that ruling. So I can really feed into the CD by by getting that that release. So I have to be very careful, um, just like a therapist has to be careful about their facial expression mm -hmm. when a client presents them with what they're worried about, because they're watching for our reaction. So, uh, which is a poker face to all those therapists listening. It's one of your greatest clinical tools. Mm -hmm. Okay, they want to see if you're going to laugh at it, so mm -hmm. they can say, "Oh, it's it's not real," or they're going to see if you're serious about it. Oh my God, it's real. So <clears throat> we we need to be very um, neutral about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So if I if I um, if I ask for the rabbi's information, I would be I really would want to. Mm -hmm. And if I could find a way to talk to the rabbi, I probably would, but um, I wouldn't do it at the cost of the therapy. Mm -hmm. I would not do it, you know, if, if I think that um, it's going to unsettle 
Um, it could work both ways, Kevin, now that I'm thinking about it. If I ask to, if I speak to the rabbi, it could reinforce the idea that he's doing something wrong. Or it could be reassurance because Shalom is double checking that what I heard was right. Mm-hmm. So depending on the client, mm-hmm. it could either be uh, um, horrifying or um, relieving. So both of those things uh, would interfere with the person uh, doing the therapy. But if the opportunity would present itself without getting in the way of the therapy, Mm -hmm. I'd be just curious. I mean, I happen to be a curious person. I like to learn. Um, It wouldn't be like me doubting him or questioning him. Uh, I'm assuming that he knows more than I do, but I am super curious. And as you know, as a therapist, mm-hmm. most of the time we do not get to satisfy our curiosity <laughs> about the person's life. You know, like you wonder about their spouse or their kids or their job, like you, know, what is going on over there? And you don't get to know. And we're professionally nosy people. <laughs> yes. We, we want to know. Yes. Yes, yes. In, in Yiddish word is be called ayenta. Mm. So ayenta is a nosy body, the Yiddish word for ayenta. So um, we, you know, we're we're allowed to be yentas in our offices, but that's it, you know. Uh, so I would really, really be curious, but 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 to be honest, to my practice, I would have to. I probably would have. I would probably like to do the imaginal ones because mm-hmm. they're. I feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. That I won't. I won't be telling the person to masturbate. If I can get away with that, I probably would do that only. But if I had to tell them to masturbate, I probably would do. I probably would. Uh, and I would probably do it the way I said, where masturbate in a situation where it's maximum guilt. So where like you didn't have to, like you weren't dying to have sex and couldn't. Right. So we want to it's bring up extracurricular masturbation. Correct. Correct. Right. Cause we want to, the idea of an exposure is we want the uncertainty front and center neon lights. Uh, we want it to be real. So, um, I'd probably do something like that, but it would, t- be honest, it would be uncomfortable, but, and me, knowing my way around uh, the Jewish law, i probably start poking around myself. Mm-hmm. And look, because we have a huge amount of case law, as, yeah. it call, as it's called in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. It means there are rulings. We have hundreds of years of rulings. So I would probably start looking around like, it has this, is there a precedent for this? Yeah. Just for my own... How, yeah, it'd be nice if that rabbi would show their work, how they got to this conclusion, if it's math. Right. Exactly, exactly. And, and is he just resting on a previous ruling and he didn't have to work it out himself? He could, that could, that's another possibility. Right. He knows of a similar ruling. So um, a rabbi is allowed to, I don't know, I don't know how to, the English... Um, 
apply one ruling to a similar case. Mm -hmm. And he's allowed to decide if the case is similar enough. And there are a lot of discussions about this. Like, let's say somebody writes a, a response, like mm -hmm. someone writes a letter and they respond to it. So there's a lot of that kind of literature. It's called the response literature. So he'll say, well, this is my ruling because of this previous ruling. And then someone will argue and say, well, that you can't compare that to that because there's this difference. Mm -hmm. So there's all this conversation going on. But a rabbi is allowed to, according to, according to his, what he thinks, if one thing is similar to another, he's allowed to adopt a previous ruling and apply it to a new case. Right. It's it. it what what I what I really appreciate about this kind of latter half of the conversation is is acknowledging that you know peop, even you know th therapists may do things differently, and there's always that that struggle that therapists have of you know how do we make sure that we are doing it right. How do we make sure that we are taking the right step? And just like with everybody, we're, we're taking these steps and using the best knowledge and understanding that we can and care, and we are open to potentially making that mistake, providing that reassurance, accidentally you know, damaging that relationship, but doing the best that we can. And I think that there's an element of this for, for David to be open to the possibility that he is making that mistake too. And you know, this is the position that everybody is in, of we might make yeah. that mistake and we might have to suffer those consequences, but a lot of times we we don't make mistakes, and most of the time we don't make mistakes that have catastrophic outcomes. And also, I, I, I appreciate that awareness or that acknowledgement of you know, as a spiritually sensitive person yourself, you're you're probably going to want to start with the most um, re respectful and inconsequential. Yeah approach, right? S scripting is fantastic for this because it's a great way to, uh, you know, start and just, just simply be, we're going to expose you to the concepts rather than having to, you know, j jump in front of live fire as it were. Right, right. I want to uh, uh, point out that what you said is we model a lot of acceptance of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the clients pick it up and sometimes they don't. And sometimes I'll come out and say it. I'll say, listen, me telling you this is a risk, you know. I just, the only difference between me and you is anxiety. Mm -hmm. The only difference. Or um, or I give them examples of other other things that I, you know, other cases. But we, we in a position of... Uh, you know, so somewhat of an authority as a therapist, we take risks, doctors take risks, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, we model it. But sometimes I'll actually point it out. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's to, we want to normalize risk, basically, want to normalize um, that everyone's life is fraught with risk. I have this concept that I use acceptable levels of risk. Mm. So, Meaning, in 1965, driving without a seatbelt was an acceptable level of risk. Mm -hmm. And 19, 2020 is probably not. Right. So, there is some zone of acceptable levels of risk. And we're just trying to bring you in there. And um, by using empirical observation, I usually can prove to the client that 
hey, I'm not saying it's good, but everyone has this risk. They're not promising you anything's going to end well. All I'm telling you is that it's normal. Right. Right. And yeah. it's it, and it's where we all are, and it's where we have to be. So, I, yeah. I'm I'm looking at the time and realize that we've 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 got we've got things to do today. At least I think I've got a client here, but um, so I should probably release you back to the wild. But I appreciate your um, uh, all your expertise and your thoughts on this. Um, I if if. Um, uh, if David or somebody else has a question kind of in, in this same vein, would you be interested in jumping back on in the future to chat about it? For sure. Not a problem at all. It's great to talk. Wonderful. Well, Mishulam, thank you so much for, uh, for your, uh, h- hanging out with us on the podcast. Great. Great, Kevin. Well, you have a good uh, day. The greatest pleasure great to talk with you and talk, talk shop, you know? Absolutely. All right. Bye. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for making it through that episode. Uh, what a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate Mishulam's uh, uh, insights onto that, his wisdom and knowledge uh, in, this, uh, in this subject. And uh, I, I hope it was helpful for everybody out there who had a similar question or, or is kind of in that same camp. Again, if you have questions that um, that kind of fall in line with uh, the stuff that uh, – or the, the – uh, that, that Mishulam can answer kind of uh, uh, issues a lot along with uh, scrupulosity specifically within the Jewish community um, Mishulam would be happy to jump back on to, uh, to address any of those questions and I think those questions are, are, are fascinating and, uh, and helpful uh, especially for those who are, who are kind of struggling with, with those questions and, uh, in that realm. so Everybody, please remember that the FearCast does not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have a little bit, uh, or if you want a little bit of help in your recovery, you can go to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some information for you there. Um, But until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.